On April 19th, residents of the African nation of Chad learned that their president, Idris Debi, had won nearly 80% of the vote in a controversial election held earlier this month. Well, Chad's president, Idris Debi, is set to win a sixth term in office after three decades in power. The next day, Chadians were stunned to learn what had changed in their country over the course of 24 hours. According to the army, President Idris Debi died of injuries that he sustained while visiting frontline troops who were battling rebels. For the people of Chad, Idris Debi was a president of 30 years. For the West, he was a staunch ally in a region of strategic importance. And his death comes as rebel groups march towards Chad's capital. So what happened to Idris Debi? And what comes next for Chad? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. The day before Debbie's death was announced, he had been scheduled to make a victory speech after provisional results showed him winning the recent presidential election. But his campaign director said the speech would be postponed as the president was visiting soldiers fighting rebels in the country's north. The next day, an army spokesman came on state television to make an announcement to the nation. Loyal to his oath to the country, Chad's marshal, the president of the republic, head of state, supreme leader of the armies, Idris Debi Itno, just took his last breath while defending the integrity of the territory on the battlefield. Now, as this spokesman is making the announcement, he's surrounded by several other members of the military, all of them wearing camouflage fatigues and red berets. And after announcing Debbie's death, he listed several measures to be adopted immediately. A curfew was imposed, borders were closed, and the National Assembly was dissolved and replaced with a transitional military council. And Idris Debi's son, Mohammed, was named interim president. It was a lot to take in. So to make sense of the news, we called up our colleague, Hiba Morgan. I'm Hiba Morgan, Al Jazeera English correspondent. Initially, it was South Sudan and Sudan, and now I've included Chad to my resume. Tell us where you are right now. Right now, I'm in the capital in Jamena. I've just been out and about to look at the uh, atmosphere and the scene around the capital. And what did you find? There is a sense of cautiousness. There is a bit of an extra security presence, especially around the presidential palace. Everywhere you go, you will see uh, a soldier in uniform. So that that's probably the new addition to the scenes that we've been seeing prior to the announcement of uh, Debbie's death. But people are out and about, the markets are open, but you can see that people are sensing that there's something different from the way it was the past few days. So let's talk about the fast-developing events of the last few days. On Monday, Debbie was announced the expected winner of April 11th's election. Then on Tuesday, the army announced he had died. What do we know about the circumstances around his death? Well, the military has been very careful to control the narrative. They didn't reveal the fact that he went to the front lines over the weekend on Saturday. And then on Tuesday morning, people woke up and they were going out and about doing their 
daily business. And then they got the announcement that President Debbie had passed away. So the narratives that have been coming out with regards to how he was injured, where he was injured, how severe were the injuries, these are things that the military have been very careful to keep a very tight lid on. It wasn't something new for Debbie to go to the front line. I think that is striking for people outside of Chad who maybe can't imagine their head of state, their president, going out to the front line of fighting. But he was a former military man. The, the soldiers and the officers spoke to say that he had a strong belief that the best way to lead in the battlefields is to always be in front. That is something that they say has been known about him. Chad has faced many rebel attacks and coup attempts during Debbie's time in power. This latest campaign was led by a group called the Front for Concord and Change in Chad, also known by its French acronym, FACT. The group itself was formed in 2016, and they've been mostly launching attacks at border regions. They're based out of Libya, and they've been very determined that they will oust President Debbie from power no matter how long it takes. And on April 11th, the same day of the elections, those Chadian rebels crossed the border from Libya into Chad. The officers who we spoke to said they were not surprised that the president opted to go lead himself. He was in the capital in Jemena during the uh, campaign days, as well as on voting day, we saw him casting the very first ballot. Then we heard that the rebels are advancing towards the capital in Jemena. Over the weekend, we heard that the operations have intensified. And then we heard that, oh, it was so intense that President Debbie opted to go to the front lines, be the one leading those operations against the rebels. Hiba says it's important to understand the security situation when looking at the slow trickle of information we've received from the army about President Debbie's death. This is a country that has dealt with numerous security threats. We've seen the capital in Jemena overrun by rebels twice in 2006 and 2008. So they've been very careful about the amount of information that they were letting out. They only revealed the fact that he died on Monday. And then after that, they revealed that there is a transitional military council that is made up of 15 members. They already had the members lined up. So it looks like things were already set up, probably from the time that they knew Idris Debi had been injured in the battlefront. So now his son is being named interim president. What can you tell us about his son and these transitional plans? Well, for one thing, he is going to be the youngest leader. He's only 37 years old. That is something that people here have been not exactly pleased about. They say that this country, again, the biggest threat it's facing is security. So they wanted someone with more experience. He also was the head of the presidential guard of his father. So he knows the day-to-day -day operations of the presidency. But Again, Malika, this is the thing that people have been not exactly happy about. The fact that Debbie had been running the country for three decades. And now that he's gone, his son will be the one taking over. It feels like it's a family affair that the Debbie family want to be the one running Chad for as long as they can. There is a constitution, right? Uh, there was. <laughs> can you tell me more about how surprising or not surprising, perhaps, that is, that it's been suspended? 
I mean, ideally, every country has a constitution. Chad had one up until Tuesday morning. The constitution says that should anything happen to the president, the speaker of the parliament will be the one running the country for a period of 45 days until a transitional government is put in place and elections are held. That's what the constitution says. But that's not what happened. The first thing we heard from the Transitional Military Council is that they've dissolved that parliament and they've dissolved the constitution. So uh, a lot of opposition parties say that this is a coup against the people, against the system that was put in place to safeguard the country and, and maintain its democracy or sense of democracy. And that sense of democracy has been tested before during Debbie's 30-year presidency. He came to power in 1990 by leading a rebellion. In 1996, he won the country's first multi-party presidential election. And he won a few more elections after that, too. But during his time in power, Debbie didn't leave much room for dissent. He's faced numerous coups, so maybe a lot of people in the country didn't really want him to be in power. That became even more evident in this last election, held earlier this month. He's been very ruthless with the opposition, and we've spoken to a lot of opposition members. Some of them have boycotted the elections, some of them have withdrawn from the elections. But I, I think his reputation was manifested when opposition leader Yaya Dilo announced that he was going to run for president and try to compete with Idris Debi. The response was that military surrounded his house and then attacked. Dilo says elite forces killed his elderly mother and 11-year-old son in an attempt to arrest him on Sunday. He had to flee, and nobody knows where he is right now. And Heba also points to a crackdown on protests ahead of the election. We've seen how his government has dealt with the protesters against him running for a sixth term. So those instances basically show us who Debbie was over the past three decades. While there are people in the country who see that he has been able to stabilize the country in terms of security and deal with the threats of conflict and coups and rebels, there are others who believe that he did not create uh, a decent space for democracy to flourish in Chad. Some critics of Debbie's said he was able to stay in power Thanks partly because of the West, especially France, which relied on him. What did that relationship look like? France has been the first country to recognize or sort of recognize this transitional military council. It's provided extensive support to Debbie and his army. A lot of people say if not for the French intervention, Debbie would have been ousted a long time ago. To pick up on the point Hiba made, we spoke with our colleague Nicholas Huck one of her fellow correspondents on the continent. He spent years covering France's role in Africa. France sees Chad of strategic importance, not just because of its geographical location being in the heart of the Sahel, but because Chadian forces have been key on battlegrounds, fighting with French forces, fighting armed groups such as the Islamic State in the Greater Sahara and also Al-Qaeda affiliate. And France isn't the only country to see Chad as a key ally. Here's former U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson in 2018. The United States values Chad as a strategic partner in this region. In addition to using its own army in fights against groups like Boko Haram and the Islamic State, Chad has also hosted military activities from the United States and France within its borders. 
Chad has been used as a launching pad for Western forces, notably the United States, to launch attacks. But Nicholas says there's another reason why France especially cares about Chad. The reason why French troops are on the ground is not only to secure the region from armed groups, but ensure the energy needs of France. It's worth remembering that Chad is the 10th largest reserve holder of oil in Africa, and it's the main source of revenue. The irony of all of it is despite this huge reserve in oil and that privileged relationship with France, the people of Chad have lived in dire poverty since Idris Deby came to power in 1990. Still, Nicholas says, Deby did get something in return from France. As much as France needs Chad to secure the region, Chad needs France to secure the country. On several occasions, France provided support as rebel groups attempted to overthrow Deby. And then in 2019... French forces intervened through its air force to repel rebel armed groups that were entering the country. Paris has conducted airstrikes in the central African country of Chad in a bid to avert a coup d'etat. In other words, protecting Idris Deby from being taken over by a rebel force. That's something Hiba said too. There is this open secret that if not for the aid and for the support of the French government, we would not see Deby staying in power this long. As Hiba mentioned before, France has acknowledged this transitional military council. But the rebel group in the north doesn't recognize it. Here's what one of their spokesmen had to say. Chad is not a monarchy. There can be no dynastic devolution of power in our country. The rebel group also said they would continue their march towards the capital. People are wondering, is this the threat? Are we going to see N'Djamena being overrun by rebels for a third time? And that could explain why... On Monday morning, there were a lot of soldiers on the streets. The military and the spokesperson of the government say that's just to maintain cautiousness. They don't want people to panic. But the fact that they had intensified military presence and security presence in the country showed some people that there is a concern by the Chadian government that this rebel group is not an easy one. So the people of Chad have, this week alone, seen their president re-elected for a sixth term then find out that he had been killed. And now there's an advancement on the capital of this rebel group. What are you hearing from people as you go about your news gathering? How do they feel? So there is a tension, a sense of cautiousness in the country, people not knowing what is going to come next. This is all a scene that is very much unfolding in real time. The fact that you have a president who's re-elected for a sixth term, the fact that just... Hours before the announcement of his death, people were celebrating. And then comes the news that he's dead and the military is in charge. So all of these things are things that people are finding that they have to cope with minute by minute. But ultimately, the biggest concern here is how the security unfolds. For everyone we've spoken to, it's a matter of security. Can they maintain the security in the capital in Jamena? Can they make sure that the situation does not deteriorate to a point where they have to leave and go back to their hometowns or leave the country and become refugees? These are things that people are talking about right now. These are their biggest concerns. And just to follow up, but how are you? 
You are no stranger to stories like this. The last time we had you on the podcast, you were talking about something similar happening in Sudan. I have to admit, when this was all happening and I was talking to the news desk, I had a weird sense of deja vu, you know, an old leadership gone, a new leadership in place, transitional military council. And and my first question was, do the military have a playbook somewhere where they just go, you know, step by step? And it it was all very familiar. And, And even today, when we spoke to some politicians, they were talking about, oh, we should have a transitional council that is hybrid of civilian military. And I'm looking at them like, did you see a neighboring country having something similar? I have that concern here in Chad that because not everybody's accepting this new leadership, there may be violence, there may be deaths. And honestly, the country uh, of 17 million and a lot of people already suffering, I don't think that is something they need at the moment. Yeah. Hiba Morgan, thank you so much for walking us through this story and stay safe. Thank you, Malika. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliai, with Dina Kispe, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, Priyanka Tove, Ney Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Tom Fenton is our story editor. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. And Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. We'll be back 